exalt your holy name because you are mighty to save. Lord, we cannot save ourselves. All of our efforts at law-keeping and trying to do better and being a good person, Lord, it just falls flat. Lord, thank you that you sent your Son, Jesus, as our Redeemer, Savior. And it's in Him that we glory today. It's in Him that we praise. It's in Him that we have joy. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. It has to be one of the greatest challenges for any Christian. And that is unanswered prayer. It's in that space where you've prayed, and then you've prayed some more. You've looked at your motivations, and it seems like you're asking God for good things that would glorify Him. But those prayers are just long in coming. It seems as if God may be silent to your prayer. You're praying for maybe a new job opportunity so that you can provide. You're, you're praying for healing to a broken relationship. Maybe you're praying for physical healing. Maybe you're praying for health out of just a nagging depression or, or loneliness. But as of yet, that prayer hasn't been answered. This morning, you may not receive every answer to the question of unanswered prayer. But I hope that you will receive one answer. That God's apparent silence is not because he doesn't love you. It's not that he hasn't forgotten you. On the other hand, God's apparent silence is because he loves you. Because he wants to reveal his glory to you. For our guests, we're in a sermon series called The Seven. This is Jesus in his own words. In John's Gospel, Jesus gives us seven different statements about himself, all starting with the words, I am. So this isn't what some philosopher has come up with about Jesus. No, this is Jesus. This is who he says he is. This is what he wants us to know about him. And today, the statement that we're going to examine is, I am the resurrection and the life. To do that, I'd like you to turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 11. It will be helpful this morning if uh, you do have your Bible or Bible app open, because uh, we're going to tap 
sections of this passage of, of Scripture. And if not, that's okay. Uh, the Scripture will appear up on the screen behind me. So let's start out by reading John chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Now a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. So the story begins in Bethany. And this was a small village about two miles east of the much larger city of Jerusalem. And we're introduced to three different people. They're siblings. You have Mary and Martha, who appear in all four Gospels. And then you also have their brother, Lazarus. Jesus is very familiar with this family. In fact, you could say he's family friends with this family. He loves this family. And that's why when Lazarus got sick and the sisters weren't sure that Lazarus was going to pull through, we, we aren't told exactly what sickness it was. It was deadly, though. Because they send a message to Jesus, which only makes sense. Because they're believers. They know Jesus' power to heal. They send a message, Lord, the one you love is sick. How will Jesus respond? Will he come immediately to help them? To help heal Lazarus? Let, let's find out. Let's, let's read on. Verses 4 through 7 now. When Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Jesus surprises us. Jesus utterly shocks this family because he does not respond to their request in the way that we would expect Jesus to respond to their request. His first comment, apparently to his disciples, when he receives the message from Mary and Martha, is this sickness will not end in death, but for the glory of God. Well enough, Jesus is saying that Somehow there's going to be a good result to come out of this sickness. But then we're told, which has to be one of the oddest verses, 
Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. So rather than going immediately, rushing to be at Lazarus' side to bring healing, or even just giving the word right then, because Jesus does not have to be physically close to someone to heal them. We see this in other places in the gospel. He could just heal right there, just, just give the word. He doesn't do either one of those things. It says, when he heard, he deliberately stays two days longer where he was. He takes no action on Lazarus' part to bring healing. And he loved his family. The, the sisters and, and Lazarus, if he was conscious at, at this part, he must have felt a lot like we do when we're praying to Jesus. But yet, the answer seems long in coming. This was hard. You can even say this was a major letdown for this family. So why did Jesus respond like this? He gives us a clue about that. So that the Son of God, namely himself, may be glorified through it. It's already been established how much he loves this family. How much he loves us. And he loves us enough to give us always totally his best. That the Son of God may be glorified through it. Through our prayers. Let's find out how. Let's read on. Now let's jump down to verse 17. And we're going to read verses 17 through 27. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your, your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me. Even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told 
them, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. So Jesus finally arrives in Bethany to the perspective of the people there, especially the family, four days too late. He walks into a large funeral. There's a lot of, of emotion. This was a very expressive culture as far as emotion. In fact, there were professional mourners who would be a part of these funerals. And since people were coming from Jerusalem to Bethany, gives us a hint that this was a well-known and prominent family in this area. So this was a big deal. And Jesus arrives. People tell the sisters that Jesus is coming in. Mary remains where she is. Martha goes out to meet Jesus. And the first thing she says to Jesus is, Jesus, if you had been here, Lazarus would still be alive. Disappointment. Heartache. But then she goes on, revealing the faith that is in her heart. Yet even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Even in her disappointment and grief, she still believes in Jesus. And then Jesus responds, your brother will rise again. And thinking that Jesus is talking about the resurrection that will come at the end of history, when Jesus will resurrect the dead in Christ, that's not what Jesus was talking about. He says something more immediate to her. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He, he makes that question very personal, directed toward Martha, and he directs that same question to us today. Do you believe this? You see, the promise of resurrection is both now and not yet. For the one who does believe in Jesus, I am the resurrection and the life. There is a glorious promise of resurrection and hope that we've already sang about this morning. That we will be resurrected from the grave. We will receive new resurrected bodies that we'll get to spend forever in with Jesus and with all of God's people. And what a glorious hope that we have in Christ. But there's also a part of this 
That Jesus is the resurrection and the life for us right now. For the one who believes in him, not just knows about him, he gives them new life. He gives them a, a new heart, a, a new nature. The resurrection from the dead for the one who believes in Jesus is already a present reality. I'll show you what I mean. Let's finish out this passage with verses 38 through 44. Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there is already a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stones. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they may believe you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out bound, hand and foot with linen strips, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. So Jesus is there at the tomb. There is the shortest verse in all of the Bible prior to this. Jesus wept. And at the tomb, we learn he was also deeply moved. Now if you read in the Greek language that this was originally written in, and of course is translated into English, the word there, deeply moved, conveys both a sense of sorrow, but then also anger and even rage at what was before him. Deeply moved could be translated something like deeply disturbed. Jesus is disturbed at death. Jesus is disturbed at the human condition. At the condition that our sin has left us in leading to death. The wages of sin is death. And then he stands up very clearly. Very strong. Remove the stone. They start to do that, and then Martha speaks up, states the obvious. He's been dead for four days. If you remove the stone, the smell is going to be overpowering. 
Jesus tells them to do it anyways because it will only lend to the weight and the power of the miracle, the sign in John's gospel that Jesus is about to do. He's able to resurrect even someone that's been dead for four days. And then so that there's no question about where his authority comes from, he starts to pray. Apparently he's already been praying and asking his father for help and power. But he says, for the crowd, he prays out loud. So they know that he is doing his father's will. And he's under his father's authority and power. And then crying out in a loud voice, he says, Lazarus, come out. And I'm sure there is some kind of delay. I'm sure there is suspense. Is this really going to happen? And then finally, the dead man comes out, lumbering out, having his burial cloth still wrapped around him. And then Jesus says, take them off. And Lazarus is alive. Now spiritually speaking, I want you to know that we're born with a lot more in common with Lazarus than we know, spiritually dead. Ephesians 2 tells us, and you were dead in your sins and trespasses in which you formerly lived. Someone may say, well, I'm a fully functioning human being. I'm a fully functioning person. Yes, spiritually, or I'm sorry, Physically, you're alive. You can say psychologically, you're alive. Emotionally, you're alive. But the Bible tells us that apart from Christ and the life that He provides, spiritually, you're dead. Meaning, you're dead to God. You're dead relationally to God, who is your Creator who is your source of life. You're, you're separated from God because of your sins. You're on one side of the Grand Canyon and God is on the other and the canyon itself is your sin. It's a barrier between you and God that cannot be removed. Regardless of how good you try to be, regardless of how much you accomplish, Regardless of how many good things you do for other people, how much self-improvement projects you give yourself over, sin cannot be removed by good works, by the things that we try to do. But here's the glorious hope that we have. Jesus Christ the Son of God Himself became fully human. He lived the life that all of us have failed to live. He lived a sinless life. 
sink in. Because all of that sin that was formerly a barrier between you and God, Jesus took on the cross. He was placed in a tomb. He knows what it's like to die. He died for his sins. He died for ours. But then three days later, he arose. In Romans it says, he was resurrected for our justification. Justification is a word that means declared right or declared righteous. For the person that does trust in Jesus as their resurrection and life, they are declared right with God. Declared righteous. As if they never sinned and always obeyed God. That's the status of how God looks at his children. Those who have trusted in Jesus as their resurrection and alive. And we can't make ourselves spiritually alive any more than Lazarus could have resurrected himself out of that grave that day. But we can pray to Jesus. And we can say, Jesus, I'm helpless. I'm helpless to save myself from my sin. And I need you. Will you please save me? And I can't help but to go back to the question that was posed to Martha. Do you believe? Have you ever called out on the name of the Lord for healing to save you? You can do that today. And God will save you. He will give you new life in Christ. Now back to the topic of unanswered prayer. Jesus did answer Mary and Martha's prayer in a big way. In a message they sent to Jesus, it is in a sense a prayer. Because that's what we're doing when we're praying, asking for help from Jesus. We're petitioning Jesus. We're sending him messages, asking him to come to our aid to help us. Jesus answered their prayers. But those four days of unanswered prayers must have been painfully hard. And from this we learn an important lesson. There are going to be times when we're calling out to Jesus from our Bethany, from our place of need for him to help us. We're, we're waiting on him. But because he loves us, just like he loved this family, so he waited. But because he loves us and wants us to see and experience his glory and greatness in a way that would otherwise not be possible, he decides, deliberately decides, 
got to give the answer to our prayer right away. You may be in that place right now. You're crying out to God in your place of me, in your Bethany. And it doesn't seem like Jesus is answering you. Don't mistake his apparent silence, his apparent inactivity with his apathy. Because he absolutely loves you. And when you're in that moment, take heart. Don't stop praying. Don't stop hoping. Because the reason why Jesus is, is waiting to act is one, because he loves you. And then two, he wants to show you his glory in an even greater way than you could previously imagine. I'm sure that's much like the family felt in Bethany. They believed in Jesus. They, they wanted to see his glory. They were praying for help. Jesus gives it to them in such a bigger and more tremendous way than what had been possible had Jesus immediately answered their request right when he received the prayer. Did you know that later Jesus would have his own kind of unanswered prayer? He knows what you're going through. He's been through it personally himself. Just a little time after this account that we read in John's Gospel, Jesus is praying in the garden. He, he knows his time is short. It's almost time for him to go to the cross. And, and he's praying to God in the garden. He prays so intensely that, that his tears his sweat, it's like drops of blood. He was just excruciatingly anxious about what was to transpire. And he prays to God, Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. And he's waiting to hear the answer of God. And this is what he gives. I read a quote from an author named Philip Yancey. When Jesus prayed to the one who could save him from death, he did not get that salvation. He got instead the salvation of the world. So take heart. Jesus knows exactly the experience of unanswered prayer. And he challenges us to be like him in the garden. Yes, he did pray, Father, if it's your will, may the cup pass from me. But he loves you enough that he went on to pray, yet not my will, but yours be done. And he got the salvation of the world. So while you're praying in your Bethany, in your time of need, be sure 
to continue to give those requests, to send those messages to God, but don't fail that second part of the prayer. Yet, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Be glorified in me and in my situation that I'm praying for. And Jesus promises to give you his best, to show you his incredible glory that you couldn't think or ask for when you started the praying. Let's pray again. Thank you.